0: hello and welcome to the political notebook podcast i'm billy rob i'm a high school teacher
1: and i'm robert rob editorial columnist for the arizona republic and billy's dad
0: we are in the seventh month of 2020 a year that started with the impeachment trial of president trump and that now finds us in the middle of a pandemic that has upended every part of our lives as a result of the pandemic we're facing an economic crisis Congress has passed several bills to address these dual crises and more relief bills might be on the horizon. By this point in the summer, we'd all hope to be on the other side of the coronavirus curve and starting the economic recovery, but instead we're seeing cases spike, calling into question whether schools will be able to reopen in the fall. And during these unfolding crises, the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis sparked one of the biggest mass movements in US history creating a national conversation about policing, criminal justice reform, the question of systematic racism. And now we're four months away from the 2020 election. In the upcoming episodes of the podcast, uh, I want to break down some of the campaigns happening here in Arizona, including the ballot initiatives that have been filed and may go uh, before all of Arizona voters. On this episode, though, I want to talk about the political landscape in general, and how this wild year might be weighing on voters as they go to the polls in the primary uh, next August and into the general election in 2020. But my first question uh, is going to be about coronavirus. Uh, We've seen a a spike uh, here in Arizona, Um, kind of the spike that we've been trying to avoid with all the strategies earlier uh, in, in the pandemic. Um, and you've been, Dad, you've been an advocate for a more targeted uh, strategy uh, rather than complete lockdowns. Uh, has this current spike changed your perspective of, of, of that strategy? Uh, and, 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 you know, how could we have done more to see the spike that's happening right now? And how do you think our public uh, officials should, should respond now uh, to, the, uh, to the current spike?
1: Um, My view of the appropriate public policy response has uh, not changed. Um, I continue to think that this is something which primarily we uh, just need to manage to uh, live through, um, taking uh, precautions that are calculated um, based upon um, the extent to which the virus poses a risk for us and taking protective action towards those who are most at risk, um, particularly those in nursing homes and other um, senior residential facilities. Um, Our economy has, after we lifted uh, the stay at home order, um, largely stabilized both here and other states are pretty much doing Uh, comparable things of beginning to try to live through it uh, but returning to to work and uh, a limited degree of socialization Um, so we no longer have the avalanche of um, low-income workers being thrown out of their jobs Uh, we haven't had the degree of small business bankruptcies and failures that I think uh, people feared. Uh, And um, we are stressing heavily our hospitalization capacity, but we haven't yet um, broken it and we have some reserve surge capacity available. Um, So I believe that the uh, increased caution that has been advocated uh, is uh, good good public policy, uh, I think that we still are not focusing our testing resources sufficiently on the most vulnerable populations. Uh, and um, we, aren't, um, we aren't protecting that particular population to the extent we should. But generally, I think it's something that we need to live through. Uh, rather than go back to a shutdown regime um, with all the adverse consequences uh, that that had uh, without in my judgment adding a degree of protection uh, to the most- vulnerable populations, which should be the focus of our attention
0: I think when 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 people hear that. You know, we should live through it, or we should uh, just try to do the best we can, but not not shut everything down. The kind of the emotional reaction is, is to say, like, you know, people are people are dying, and and yes, there are things still open, and and people are still working, but a lot of people are getting uh, sick uh, as well. Just in terms of, and I'm seeing headlines like "There's blood on Deucey's hands for, for not shutting things down," and and there's there's a lot of <laughs> intensity and, and strong emotions. Um, with people that are uh, getting sick and, and, and dying and even, you know, stories of, of, of younger people, even though it's a statistical anomaly. How do you as a public official um, or in, in talking about public policy, how do you square that, um, you know, that feeling and, and, and for, for many people that, that reality?
1: Well, I don't think there's a strong desire to go back to um, a big shutdown. And there was um, terrible consequences to individuals uh, from hundreds of thousands of um, low-skilled Arizona workers losing their jobs, um, small business failures that were uh, impending. Uh, And um, the uh, deaf um As a percentage of the population in Arizona uh, remains below the national average and well below the um, severely struck states uh, such as uh, New York and new jersey um, we we and, and, and I think you see occurring across all states and across all countries a convergence on the same approach of not shutting things down, protecting the vulnerable population to the extent you can, uh, urging people to take precautions. And obviously those that are in the vulnerable populations need to take additional precautions beyond uh, even those that all of us should be uh, following. Um, So it is an emotional subject, but I believe you would see a comparable emotional backlash, and you saw it when we had the shutdowns in place. Um, all states, virtually all countries, are converging on the live through it, exercise precautions, try to contain the spread, protect the vulnerable population. Uh, I still think in Arizona, we, because we are taking more of a broad-based approach, we aren't concentrating particularly our testing resources that remain scarce on the most vulnerable population. Um, so the general alarm, uh, which I think is excessive, has hindered our ability to concentrate resources where they are most needed and would do the most good and reduce, reduce deaths from the disease to the greatest extent. So I want to talk about uh,
0: primarily this episode about just the political uh, landscape shaking out in Arizona as a result of uh, these multiple uh, society shaking uh, phenomenons uh, going on right now. As kind of a segue into that, though, I want to... Do another uh, one specifically on on coronavirus, and that is how much blame. You, you mentioned other European countries and how they've kind of you know, kind of accepted it and are, are going along with uh, life. But the but the percentage of cases there has gone down um, a lot compared to. Uh, Com- compared to here, you'd say maybe that they're on the other side of the curve already. Um, is there, is, how much blame do you think the Trump administration uh, deserves for uh, the fact that the United States, right now, compared to those uh, European countries, uh, is not doing uh, as well? Well, the virus
1: hit there earlier than it hit the United States. So, in terms of a time sequence, we're not at the same point. Um, but in general, I don't like the blame game um, on the COVID-19 um, outbreak. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a new virus for the human species. Uh, there's going to be adverse consequences from that. Uh, I don't think it's right for the Trump administration to be blaming China for it. I And I think everybody has sort of adopted the same approach. Uh, initial shutdowns, um, those tend not to be sustainable. Uh, and a convergence on uh, manage it as best you can. Uh, urge precautions uh, as people, again, um, go about getting uh, going back to work and socially interacting to a certain extent, and focus on the most vulnerable populations. Uh, We'll see when we reach the same time point as Europe, uh, whether we've done uh, better, worse, or indifferent. But uh, in general, I don't think there is blame for this. Uh, It's nature. It was a new virus, We have no immunities to it uh, and everybody is trying to balance um, things as best they can. And as I said, there appears to be a convergence on uh, not resorting to shutdowns till you are unquestionably on the other side of the curve, Um, but um, going on with life uh, while trying to guard against the adverse consequences of um, the virus as best you can. I don't think we've done that adequately because we haven't focused our resources sufficiently on the most vulnerable population. Um, But um, I, I think the blame game, neither is well grounded in fact, nor does it serve many causes, but in terms of its political implications Uh, Clearly, the Democrats will try to say that the Trump administration was asleep at the wheel and uh, didn't do enough. Um, Here in Arizona, if the polls are to believe, there's general dissatisfaction with the way that Doug Ducey has uh, managed the virus. Um, So uh, if we're not in November, in a very different place than we are today with respect to the virus, I, I think that probably there will be a blame game played in politics, and it will have an effect.
0: I think one of the concerns that a lot of people had, uh, even many Republicans had, at least in the primaries in in 2016, is uh, the leadership skills that 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 would be needed in, in the case of a of a crisis, and uh, you know Trump is uh, not known for his uh, cool headed. Uh, leadership uh, he's been flying off the handle on on Twitter about you know everything that might impact him personally, and uh in general has not done a, a very good job of consistent messaging around you know behaviors that are um, important to follow i mean held a <laughs> held an inside rally in Phoenix. Um, without any social distancing uh, recommendations um, or or mask requirements, um, so I think I think some people's concerns about uh, leadership. I mean, I think I think this this crisis is you know a, a, uh, it's it's complicated. It's it's difficult. Um, I said before on, on on a podcast that I don't, I don't envy any leader right now and having to make these tough decisions, school leaders, um, political leaders. It's just a very, very difficult situation. But um, this kind of situation requires um, leadership to step up. And I think it's pretty clear I mean, to me, it's pretty clear that uh, – Trump's leadership has not been effective, and I've always assumed there'll be a day of reckoning uh, in in the in the in the near future, where the majority of even conservatives acknowledge uh, the damage Trump's doing uh, to their to their image as a, as a party, um, and we might see the consequences of that this election, um, and, and and to have some movement to sort of rebrand the Republican Party. Um, with I mean, with Trump currently down right now in the polls, and, and possibly bringing down other. Uh, down ballot candidates with them. Do you think there is going to be that kind of reckoning um, or distancing uh, from Trump uh, before the election in, in November, or if you know, if are, are people going to wait and, and stick with them till afterwards? I mean, um, I mean, one last thing here is that I don't, I don't even see as much as Ducey and, and McSally have, have clung uh, closely to, to Trump. I don't see that they've that that the base that Trump's base has support or loyalty to Deucey or Mcsally so it, to me it seems like we, they're they're not only are they losing the center but they the base is turning on them right right now so i, I so d- is that reckoning going to happen and what's your what's your kind of analysis of the state of the Republican party in in relationship to trump uh, well, first, moving forward
1: first let let me deal with the substantive parts of of um what you described with respect to to Trump and his leadership on uh, coronavirus. Those are all fair criticisms and accurate descriptions. He has been extremely erratic, and certainly in terms of um, messaging that would uh, cause people to uh, take proper precautions, uh, he's been very much a negative uh, influence. I don't believe that substantively that affected the ability of the country to cope with the virus Um, because uh, of his lack of leadership uh, on the bully pulpit uh, managing the crises uh, has fallen to uh, mostly state leaders and i think that's appropriate that that's where uh, the response um, should have been uh, led from and trump has been pretty good at marshalling uh, federal resources to help state leaders. Um, Both the governor of New York and the governor of California has said that um, Trump provided the federal resources that they needed to manage their uh, local response. Uh, The failure to, I mean, we've had a shortage of testing. Uh, The uh, failure to manage that I think has been because of a lack of focus. We haven't focused the testing where it was most needed and would do the most good, particularly in preventing uh, deaths. Um, In terms of a day of reckoning, I don't think Republicans have any choice. Uh, uh, Trump is their nominee. Uh, He will define their party um, more than any other factor. Um, so if there's a day of reckoning, it will be um, from the body politic uh, rejecting Trump and uh, sweeping out uh, Republicans down uh, ballot uh, as, as much as there might be reason uh, to disassociate oneself from Trump. And uh, again, you have to differentiate between conservatives Uh, public intellectuals, and Republican politicians. Uh, When you're a politician and you're part of a party, um, you're sort of stuck with who the party gives you as your presidential nominee. Uh, I have often advocated the need to, for Republican officials, particularly here in Arizona, where Trump has not done well and continues not to do well, to create a degree of independence from Trump, which is different than repudiating Trump. Uh, I don't think that uh, McSally has done that uh, successfully. I think Doug Deucey did, um, and it uh, showed in his overwhelming uh, re-election victory in 2018. To the extent Deucey is in trouble at present, it's a reaction to his management of the uh, coronavirus, not um, excessive fealty to to uh, Trump. So, in that's a long-winded answer <laughs> to to your question. But I don't think you're going to see between now and November Republicans abandoning Trump. Uh, and if there is a day of reckoning, it will be delivered by the body politic um, in November.
0: But let's fast forward to like you know twenty twenty two or twenty four, right? Um, is there going to be no market uh, in the in the in the Republican Party um, or in general for someone who 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 steps up and is known as the truth teller, uh, who's able to call a spade a spade, or who was able to call a spade a spade um, when it was? When it was potentially uh, politically costly for them, uh, I just don't see any any individual person in the Republican Party that has um, that that has the ability to claim uh, a post a post Trump um, credibility.
1: Well, Ben Sasse, um, I, I think in terms of people who are still in Congress, um, still has that. Um, Capacity, But I don't think, no, I, I don't think in terms of, I mean, let's assume that Trump loses big and um, this election is a debacle for Republicans generally. So there's been a um, broad rejection of Trumpism uh, by the um, buddy politic. Um, within the Republican Party itself... Uh, to the extent someone between now and then uh, starts to denounce Trump uh, he will be regarded by the body politic uh, by the republican faithful as having contributed to that repudiation so i i don't think that there's that there will be a hero's reception uh, to anyone who between now and november within the republican party uh, denounces trump now ask The debacle if there is a debacle uh, then i think there's room for people to advocate uh, for a different direction for the republican party than that which the body politic had just repudiated but i don't think you gain credibility in making that argument to the republican faithful uh, by um, undermining trump between now and november
0: if the entire party has been it becomes and has, has become tainted uh, and I, I use that word because in terms of independence and, and young people um, you know the the whole entire Republican party is defined by Trump and Trumpism if that becomes a, a you know a, a stain that causes a struggle to gain traction uh, and and to grow new constituents and gain a winning uh, political coalition, wouldn't the blame for that be the people who basically sat silent and allowed uh, Trump to define the, the, the party in such a way and, and, and did not ever take the step uh, to um, even pretend uh, to be an independent
1: uh, thinker in regards to the president? Not within the Republican faithful. Um, so they will be regarded as people who undermined it, uh, the um, president and contributed to his uh, defeat. Um, so, I mean, that I, I, I can sense the sort of the frustration <laughs> uh, that you feel about this, but I just think it's political reality. I mean, Trump is strongly supported by the Republican faithful who have accepted both his um, redefinition of the party in terms of policy and him making uh, party loyalty uh, a measure of loyalty to him. So that, that, I mean, I find those um, unfortunate uh, developments, Uh, but uh, that's reality in terms of the Republican faithful. So if that turns out to be rejected um, by a broad measure by the body politic, there will be within the Republican Party um, a discussion uh, about where do we go from here and how do we become competitive again. Um, But the base of the party, um, which you can't move forward without, Uh, isn't going to respond favorably in having that discussion uh, to people who were seen as contributing to the result before it happened. Uh, I can understand how that's uh, frustrating. And I suspect particularly frustrating for Republican politicians who uh, anticipate um, a uh, large uh, loss in November, a projection regarding which, incidentally, I don't necessarily agree, um, at least at this point. Um, but I think that that's the reality. They're stuck with Trump. Uh, he is who the voters within Republican Party primaries gave uh, him. Nobody rose to challenge him, uh, in part because they would have gotten creamed. Uh, so, like it or not, uh, Trump defines what Republican Republicanism is Uh, for now and and until he's uh, defeated.
0: And probably, probably, I mean, probably afterwards too, right? With, uh, you know, he's got, he's got acolytes, he's got a son that's, that's politically active. I mean, I just don't, last point on this that from my mind is like, I don't see how there's ever not going to be a reckoning within the Republican party about, about Trumpism, um, given, given. His me likelihood to start a media apparatus after the election and his um, his loyal acolytes that are going to be defending uh his style and his and his legacy
1: well trumpism as policy defined as uh, protectionism and trade um immigration restrictionism uh, and uh, cultural populism um has Probably fifteen to twenty percent of the electorate would subscribe to that. Um, it's it it has always been a force within the Republican Party. Pat Buchanan um, was its champion uh, in the nineteen nineties. Um, so there is, I mean, that, that is a strand of sentiment within the American electorate which will find a voice and expression and uh, will influence the course of elections. If, it's, if, it's, if Trumpism is rejected, and, and then there will be a debate about, well, was it a rejection of Trump the individual with his erratic uh, and uh, nasty approach uh, to politics and public policy? Or was it a rejection of his policies? So that debate and discussion will occur. Uh, the majority sentiment within the Republican Party um, until Trump uh, was um, in favor of fair trade uh, and emphasis on free market economics uh, and strong defense and uh, an active involvement in international relations. Uh, my guess is that still describes a majority of Republican officeholders in Congress. So um, the post-Republican Party fate after Trump, whether it is in 2020 or in 2024, um, is fraught with uh, fraction and difficulty. Um, And I do think that because of Trump, uh, Republicans uh, have an uphill climb uh, with respect to your generation, and uh, the generation after you there's a lot of repair work that needs to be done to get uh, back into the conversation and be considered as a uh, acceptable political alternative Um, but uh, i don't believe that people who between now and november are seen as undermining trump uh, will be given much of a role in that discussion if if you're a party guy you're stuck with the with the man.
0: So I've got uh, I had a question about independence and about Democrats. I'm just kind of kind of mix them up together because uh, we're getting kind of long on time here. Um, in so for independents, which who are very important uh, to to winning Arizona, um, how do you think? So we're seeing you know the this the coronavirus uh, response, the effects, and and the response uh, by, by the state and, and United States government. Um, we're seeing, uh, mass, mass protests, the black lives matter protests, and sort of kind of like the cultural reckoning that's, that's in conversation about, so yeah, that's going on with that. So you have like, um, you know, the, the, uh, the events, uh, or the, you know, the, the reality of, of political, uh, the the policy discussions around police reform. Uh, then you have sort of like the cultural uh, I- impact of those uh, of those protests. Um, so all of this uh, all of this is going on right now as sort of an in, in, in important independents are kind of making up their mind. Um, do you see the combination of these causing independence to to shift more towards? towards one side, uh, right now. And I'll, I'll just, I'll just throw in the question about the Democrats too, is, is what, as they're kind of expecting to, to, to have both of those kind of fall into their hands, uh, in, in 2020, what potential pitfalls, uh, do they, uh, do they face in getting the independence over to their
1: side? Well, in Arizona, uh, Trump is a very weak head of the ticket. Um, and uh, independents uh, generally uh, disapprove of him. Uh, and I think he has uh, pushed independence in Arizona towards leaning Democratic. The Democrats have massively improved their political position in Arizona. Uh, they uh, won um, some impressive victories in 2018. They have narrowed the registration advantage of Republicans in the state uh, very, very substantially. Uh, They have fielded good candidates. Um, So uh, they're in a very strong position. I think how the coronavirus and the management of it will play in this election is something that we can't anticipate in advance. You're gonna have to see it play out. I believe that the Black Lives Matter movement, however, um, has the potential to rebound to Trump's benefit um, and do so here in Arizona, Uh, to the extent it is seen as an indictment of America generally, uh, rather than saying that we still have faults, which we have to fix or if it's seen as going too far and tearing down monuments of our um, founding fathers uh, calls to defund the police uh, uh, then obviously trump sees this as his ticket uh, to um, a degree of recovery he is exploiting it massively He is exploiting it in a um, un-nuanced and often destructive and divisive way. Um, But I believe that to the extent that has an effect, it does potentially rebound to his uh, political uh, benefit and Um, offsets the extent to which, on cultural issues, uh, he has been alienating uh, not only to um, independents, but also a uh, not inconsiderable segment of registered Republicans. Um, So I I think on both of those, how they ultimately play out uh, is unclear at present.
0: So you think uh this last question uh on 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 this point you think that his stoking uh, obviously a strategy is to stoke uh uh and and provoke uh that culture war uh you don't do you see that as being uh
1: effective or not, or not it yeah. it depends upon how the black lives matter Matter um, movement is perceived if it's perceived as America still has flaws that we need to fix um, then Trump uh, actions can be seen as uh, reactionary and divisive to the extent it's it's regarded as overreaching or excessively radical Um, and uh, I think tearing down monuments of founding fathers, calling for defunding uh, the police. uh, uh, Then I I think that there will be more acceptance uh, of a strong reaction. Uh, And uh, right now, Trump's the only politician uh, calling out the movement uh, for some of its excesses. I, I, I just so, don't. So it, ahead. so I, I, I do think that there is the potential depending upon how the movement is perceived, uh, that Trump uh, trying to ride this as an electoral issue, uh, may indeed, uh, rebound his benefit.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't see him as, uh, a credible messenger for, uh, upholding the the values of the American founding and and the defender of of what makes uh, america uh, you know a, um, a great country <laughs> and i I you know when he reads these when he reads his his speeches it looks like he's reading u s history for the very first time and i honestly wouldn't be surprised if if <laughs>
1: if he was but that's, but but, but, <laughs> but if he's the only one doing it it's it's sort of like um where the uh, social conservatives were um with respect to judges i mean if he's the only one making those arguments uh and there's a perception that the movement has overreached and is excessively radical um there will be a segment of the electorate who say um, on the cultural issues, um, Trump's the guy that's not afraid uh, to stand up. I, I still believe that identity, uh, that, that, that resentment of identity and grievance politics uh, was an underappreciated factor in Trump's victory in 2016. Uh, and we obviously are in a different place today. And I think there's a broader acceptance of the notion that there's still flaws that uh, need to be addressed. Um, but um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that it will be um, something that helps him in 2020 as I believe it helped him in a big way in 2016.
0: Yeah, and the other element, the other factor is is whether he's able to uh, paint his opponent as as being um, welcoming or, you know, uh, encouraging of what he's defining as anti-American rhetoric, and it seems like Joe Biden is is uh, seen by by most people as 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 a um, kind of a throwback person, which might uh, might go into his advantage uh, as as the Republicans are trying to paint the the Democrats as unhinged. Marxists
1: well, it depends upon the extent to which he is willing to speak out against the excesses. He has differentiated himself, for instance, on defund the police. Uh, but on the other hand, he's abandoned um, his support for tough- on crime federal legislation that he championed in the 1990s. So I, I do believe um, he has a type rope. Uh, that he has to walk. Um, And uh, he has moved dramatically left from where he was uh, his entire life. But his entire political life, he has tried to be comfortable in the middle of where the Democratic Party is. And the Democratic Party has moved dramatically left. Um, These are the things that will be sorted out by uh, the electorate Um, as the election approaches, and Trump has crafted his approach in stark, unquestionable, obvious terms. How Joe Biden negotiates these issues, I think, is not clear uh, and probably hasn't been fully decided. He has said, I don't support defunding the police. Um, He has said that he's not in favor of getting rid of um the monuments to the to the uh of the founders um and i do think confederate uh, monuments fit in a different category yeah i do believe that those do represent um, something that was reprehensible in american um society and and uh stand for (laughs) secession and and slavery. And, and uh, I think it's appropriate to remove those monuments. I, and I think that Biden has made that differentiation, but the tug on him to the left on cultural issues will be enormous during this election. Yeah. I think seen the way that you described it, whether he remains seen that way, I think is in significant part up to him. Yeah. And what he does during the next four months.
0: Well, uh, I want to keep uh keep covering these these campaigns uh, in Arizona, so so stay tuned uh to the podcast. Last question here on this one. Uh if the Suns win the championship in Orlando this year, do you think there will be an asterisk put next
1: to their championship banner? Uh if it's the Suns, yes. <laughs> if it's the Lakers or some other uh, team that had played well for uh, all of the, the season before it got terminated, then not so much, but the Suns definitely would have an
0: asterisk. I'm hoping that we at least get to see some, some, uh, some sports here in the near future. Well, thanks everyone for listening to the political notebook podcast. Uh, You can find us on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere that you listen to podcast. Thank you.